Pastor Ned, it was a distinct privilege, or it is a distinct privilege, for me to share the pulpit with you this morning. Everywhere I seem to go, I hear good things about Ned Duncan. He's a sweet man who loves the Lord and has a lifetime of accumulated wisdom. So what a precious privilege for me to be able to share this time with him and with you. Speaking this morning about what we were trying to do with two sermons, I, I said, Ned, how are you doing on your time? He said, well, i got about two hours worth of preaching. So I'm going to try to cram into 15 minutes. And so, good job, brother. We, <laughs> I know how hard that is. So uh, that's a great thing. Well, this morning, we've already had the opportunity to reflect upon God's providence. How has God provided for us? How has God taken care of us? If we took the time this morning to do as the hymn says, to count our many blessings, and we thought about how God has blessed us individually, how God has blessed our families, how God has blessed our church, we would be here for a right long time listing out ways that we know God has been good to us, and we can add to that ways that God has been good to us that we don't really quite understand just yet. Because God is always good, even in the midst of our difficulties. God has indeed provided for us. For that, we're very grateful. My job with this sermon this morning is to challenge us to change our perspective from the past to the future. You remember the past so that you might live more faithfully in the future. One of the great things about the Christian life is that God's grace in the past is the thing that motivates us for living for Him in the future. And so this is a delicate process. We treasure our past. We love our heritage. But while we treasure our past, we cannot live there. Quite simply, time machines haven't been invented yet, and um, churches are not supposed to be museums, dead relics of a bygone era. Instead, churches are to be vibrant ministry centers that are constantly considering how to take God's timeless word and apply it to contemporary times. And so this morning, for my message, we'll be looking at Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And I encourage you to go ahead and find uh, your place and your copy of the scriptures. And let me give you just a little bit of context. This passage follows up very beautifully upon the passage that uh, Ned just read from in Deuteronomy 8. The end of Deuteronomy finds Moses on a mountain looking into the promised land. This is the thing for which Moses had labored and strived all of his life. And he knows that God has told him definitively, you will not be the person to lead my people into the promised land. So think about this for a second. If you're Moses, here you are standing on the border the precipice of crossing over into the promised land, and you know God has told you you're not going in, what do you know? Your time is up. Moses' death is imminent. I'm not going into the promised land. We're on the edge of the promised land. Uh, I better say my goodbyes really quick. 
he's not taking another step across that river. So uh, Moses knows he's leaving. Uh, Moses has told the people that God has said he's not going. And you have, you have a people of God in the Israelites camped there on the edge of the promised land who are going through a tremendous transition. They are about to go into a new place with a new leader. You think anybody wished that Moses had the opportunity to take them there? Wow. Times of transition bring many questions. Will God provide for us in the promised land the same way he, pro- he provided for us in the wilderness? Our shoes have not worn out for 40 years. Our clothes have not worn out for 40 years. Will God still provide for us? W- what about this Joshua fellow? We, we like Joshua and all, but is he ready to lead God's people? What will life be like in this place? We, we got close to this place before, and then we heard about all the giants in the land, and we turned around. Will God take care of us in this place? And God, in his grace, answers these questions from people in transition. And listen, friends, it, the, the, the parallels between the people of Israel and the people of Northside Baptist Church are not lost upon me. I'm, I'm here, and I have heard in the interview process about our wonderful relocation project. God has indeed given us a new land. I'm standing before you as a new leader. And I just think that God has some things to tell us this morning about how to trust what Ned has talked about, God's faithful providence to lead us into a faithful future. So I'd like for us to look at Joshua 1, 1 through 9, and I'll make three brief points on how God would encourage us to enter into a faithful future. The Word of God says this, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness, in this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
is Joshua is assuming leadership of this grand throng of people. As the people are questioning whether God will be faithful to them in the future, the very first thing that God does is, in transition, he reminds his people of his promises. Look with me at verses uh, 5 and 6. He says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. In verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give to them. God says, You can trust me in the future, because I have promised to give this land to you. And he cites two examples. He says, I told Moses that I am going to give this people this land. And I have told, how does it say it in verse 6? Their fathers. Who are the fathers? They're not necessarily talking about biological dads. They're talking about the heritage of leaders that have gone before. The heads of the clans, the heads of the tribes. And God says, listen, I've, I've promised this land to Moses and I've promised this to their fathers. And when we think about who the father is of the nation of Israel and go all the way back, we're talking about Abraham. 600 years ago, God made a promise to Abraham. Do you remember the promise? We'll see it here in just a few minutes when we look back at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. But there were three specific things that God promised to give to Abraham. He promised them a progeny. He said, I will make your nation like the stars in the heaven. I will make them like the sands of the seashore. I will give you a bunch of kids. Here is a man who has no son to carry on his lineage, and God is promising to make of him a great and mighty nation. He promised him a progeny. He promised them peace. He promised Abraham that Abraham and his descendants would have peace with God, and then eventually when they got into the land, they would have peace in the land. Ultimately, that came under, under, uh, unto fulfillment under the reign of King David. Unprecedented peace and prosperity. But thirdly, God promised them not just a progeny, not just peace, but he promised them property, the promised land. He said, these three things are my promise that I gave to the fathers. I promised them kids, I promised them peace, and I promised them the promised land. And as they're standing here at Joshua 1, they got two out of three so far. They're a mighty nation. They have um, been victorious when anyone is challenged and they have won. Two out of three isn't bad. But right now, they are standing on the edge of inheriting what God has said is their inheritance. They are ready to go in. And as it says, you shall, uh, verse 2, cause these people to inherit the land which I am giving to them. So while there is a temptation for, I think, people to wonder, in a time of transition, will God be faithful to us in the future? God answers this definitively. And he says this, people may change, but my promises do not. Moses may be gone, but you know what? Moses' death does not invalidate my promise because I didn't just make the promise to Moses. I made it to the fathers, and I will stick to my promises. Leaders and followers may change in any institution, but God's promises stand forever. Moses may be dead, but God's promises were not. And it's important for us, when we talk about God's promises, for us to learn something really important here. You'll see Genesis 12, 1 through 3 on the screen here. This is an important passage of Scripture, and let me remind, it, remind you of it. 
The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a really important, this is a really important point. I don't know if you've ever bought one of these little pocket promise books. It's got all the promises in the Bible. God loves you. God's got a great future for you. God's going to take care of you. He's going to comfort you. He's, he's going to bless you. He's going to make life good. We cannot ever divorce God's promises from his purposes. We cannot divorce God's promises from his purposes. Why was God giving, in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the people the land? Why was he blessing them, making them a great nation? Why was he giving them peace, these things that we said are part of the promise? Uh, it, it's the Great Commission. Do you see the Great Commission in Genesis chapter 12? We tend to think that the Great Commission is only found in Matthew 28. The Great Commission is God's plan through the ages. The reason God chose Abraham and blessed him and made him a mighty nation and gave him a land is that that was the seed that would come to fruition in the church. That through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Not just the families of the 12 tribes of Israel, but all the families of the earth. And I have to, I have to apply this very delicately to this situation. As we think about our relocation as a church... God's purpose in giving us a new piece of property or giving us a new building is not to make us a, a green facility. It's not to cut down on our emissions. It's not to, you know, cut our utility bill by 70%. It's not to give us a building that we're proud of. It's not to give us a building that is easy to maintain. It's not to give us a building that is pretty. It's not to give us a building that um, does any of those things that is divorced from His purposes. I heard one of the most disturbing stories the other day of a church that, that just within two, two years ago, I guess it was, moved into a new facility and they are already ready to close their doors because their entire vision for ministry was a building. God is not in the business of building buildings. He's in the business of building people. And if we so idolaterize a blessing that God gives us without connecting it to a purpose, may God never even give it to us. If, 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 our, if our motivation in, in seeking God's promises is just to make our life easier, we have not connected His promise to His purpose. And God's purposes, clearly from Genesis 12, are that all the peoples of the earth might be blessed. So my prayer as we stand on the precipice of whatever God has for us for the future, is not that we take God's promises and turn them into something self-focused and egomaniacal, but that we say we hope that God moves us so that we might reach more people for Christ, that it might make it easier for us to do new things in ministry, that we might have the opportunity to have more people in worship, not simply for us to be proud of ourselves. Because a church that has a faithful future, always connects God's promises to his purposes. Friends, that's an important point for us to remember.
Number two, God reminds his people of his presence. And we see this uh, twice in this passage. In verse 5, he says, Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. And then in verse 9, he says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You have to put yourselves in Joshua's sandals here for a second. What was he thinking now that Moses was gone? Joshua was Moses' second-hand man. He had the privilege of being able to implement everything that his mentor in ministry did. He got to ride Moses' coattails, so to speak. Was he thinking, dear God, what have I gotten into? I, I have no safety net now. The guy that I look to for encouragement is gone. It's now me. I have to stand on my own two feet. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were on your own and perhaps were a little intimidated? God made it very clear to Joshua, though Moses is gone, I am not. I will be with you to see my promises and my purposes fulfilled even through you. You may not think you're a Moses, but you're my leader. And I will uphold, and I will sustain, and I will make this happen. Now listen, it's a wonderful thing to have God's presence. I love what Ned said earlier. We don't need to pray for God to be with us, you know? You ever have someone go on a trip and you pray for traveling mercies? God, we know you're here, but we'd really like for you to be there too. He's already there. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But you have to ask yourself, when it comes to God's presence, do we really, do we really long for God's presence? If you were thrust into a situation like Joshua, where you were standing on your own two feet, and you were scared and intimidated, it's a big task, and God said, you can either have my presence, or I'll resurrect Moses and bring Moses back. Would you want a flesh and blood relationship, a shoulder to cry on, a hand to hold, a guy to walk with you, or would you want God's presence? Be real careful before you answer that question. You've lost a loved one. And God says... Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Is God's presence enough to compensate for your loss? You see, in church, we do a really good job of valuing God's presence more than we practice His presence. And I wonder, in some of our churches, with over 70% of our Southern Baptist churches plateaued or declining, if God or the Holy Spirit ever left, would people even notice So what do we do? How do we get to a point where we prefer God's presence over every flesh and blood relationship? How do we grow more sensitive? How do we even know if God's presence is here? Do we just simply claim the promise and just say, well, he said it, so we have to, I don't feel it. We just have to believe that God is here. God tells us where his presence is. God tells us that he loves to inhabit the praises of his people. So you want to feel God's presence? Sing loud. Sing like you mean it. God shows up where he's wanted. And in most churches, it sounds like a funeral dirge when we sing. Let that not be the truth here. May this be a chance for us to uh, welcome him in, to cheer for him, to, to identify ourselves as being on God's team. May we be engaged in sincere and heartfelt worship because God is present where his worship is true. God shows up when we're involved in service. 
You ever, you ever had to do something that you didn't really want to do, but it was like a church project? And so you showed up anyways, and you're like, man, I don't want to give up my Saturday morning to do this for the church. And then you show up, and you're like, my goodness, that just blessed my socks off. What a wonderful thing. It's God telling us, don't let your heart be so hard to not serve me, because when you serve me, you're never going to outgive me. I will outgive you every time. So God's present in sincere worship. He's present when we serve with joy. He's present when we try to engage our community in significant outreach. Genesis 12 tells us that God's plan is to bless all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth. When we try to reach him, guess whose presence we're assured of? God's. Because we are connecting with his purpose. God is present when we are seeking to obey him, not when it's convenient, but out of principle. And so if you don't sense God's presence, let me just gently challenge you. How are you doing in worship? How are you doing in service? How are you doing in evangelism? How are you doing in obedience? If we want to treasure God's presence more, we can find him. (coughs) The children of Israel didn't want to move in the desert unless they knew God, God was going with them. You remember he led them? Pillar of fire, the cloud. And he said, we're, we're not going to move, God, unless we know you're guiding us. Why would we ever want to do otherwise? Why would we not make God's presence a priority? Let me turn it around another way. If God this morning said he wasn't in our relocation project, said, I'm not going there, would we be content to stay where we were? If God said, listen, I know you've been planning this for 30 years, but I'm not in it anymore. I'm not. You misread it. And God said, I'm not going with you. Would we so desire God's presence that we would stay here, or would we be so committed to our own plans that we would disobey him and miss his presence? Now listen, I don't think there's any doubt that God is in it. But a church with a faithful future always treasures the presence of God. That becomes one of the most important things. We connect God's purposes with His promises, and we treasure God's presence. Joshua doesn't go, God, hey, thanks for trying. I appreciate you saying that you're going to be with me. But uh, you're a spirit. I can't see you, and you're not a whole lot of comfort when bad stuff happens. Why don't you bring Moses back? That'll be great, you know? Or reincarnate Moses into something that, you know, give me a pet, give me a dog that I can go to at the end of the night and complain about my day. No. God says, I'm not giving you anything else because you don't need anything else beyond my presence. So how do we learn how to treasure God's presence, and how do we learn how to pursue his purposes? Well, we do that, thirdly, by realizing that faithful churches prioritize the proclamation of the word. Where do we learn how to find God, find his presence in the word? How do we know how to connect with the things that are most important in life? How do we know how to really connect with God's purposes for our life? We find it in the word, and we see this in verse 7 and 8. In verses 6 through 9, God tells Joshua three times, Be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. What is he doing? Does God have like short-term amnesia? He's repeating himself because Joshua's not getting it. God forgot what he said. No. Each of those encouragements to boldness 
are directed to specific things. The first time when God tells him to be courageous, he says, listen, this isn't about you, Joshua. I'm using you as a tool to cause the people to inherit the land that I'm giving them. He's saying, so listen, this is a big deal. We're relocating from the wilderness to the promised land. It's a big deal. But trust me, it's not about you. You just be bold and courageous and you do what I tell you to do and you will be the agent through which people inherit the land. <clears throat> the third encouragement to be bold and courageous in verse 9, he talks to Joshua about being frightened and dismayed. And if you know anything about Joshua, he was a mighty warrior. He, he was the general of the Hebrew armies. I, I don't know that there was much that scared him, but I think the cost of taking over the promised land probably weighed on his heart. When you are a general, you make decisions in which people die. That would make the strongest man perhaps a little weak in the knees. And God's saying, listen, you go, because you're going to fight, but I'm going to fight alongside you. In verses 7 and 8, the the first and the third admonition to encouragement are just one verse. But when you get to verse 7 and 8, the second encouragement, it is the pinnacle of what God is talking about. It gets the most press. It takes up the most space. And here's the point that God is making to him. Verse 7, only be very strong and very courageous. It's not just be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. And then listen to what he says. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. This is a command that God gave to Joshua to make God's word the most central component of his leadership and his decision making. He says, Joshua, plant a beeline in obedience to my word, and don't go one degree to the right, one degree to the left. Go straight ahead. And so this is a very personal encouragement to Joshua. But at the same time, Joshua plays a special role among the people of God. He's the leader. He is to set the agenda for obedience to God's word. Why? Because as he obeys God's word, he is to teach God's people to obey God's word. They are to give special priority to the proclamation of the word. They are to fully obey God's word. Joshua is, and Joshua is to encourage God's people to fully obey. And to do this, the word has to be integral to who he is and what he does. Friends, you may not be Joshua. You may not be a leader of an army. But God gives us this command today too, to fully obey God's word. We, we, we cannot trust in our own agenda. We have to follow God's. And I love this because in verse 7 and 8, he kind of concludes by telling us the secret to success. He says, if you do these things, if you do these things, you, you will be prosperous, you will have success, um, you will um, succeed wherever you go. It says that in verse 7 and 8. And it tells us four things. He says, number one, we have to know the word. kind of profound, but you can't obey it if you don't know it. So you got to know it. Verse 8, you got to talk about it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It's not enough to just read it. 
you got to talk about it. We're trying to do that on Wednesday night with our group that shows up, aren't we? It's not quite so easy to talk about God's Word, even with your spouse, is it? We've got to talk about it. Later part of verse 8, he says you have to meditate on it day and night. You've got to think about it. You've got to know it. You've got to talk about it. You've got to meditate on it. But he concludes in ver- at the end of verse 8, he says, uh, not just meditate on it, but be careful to do according to all that is written, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. Joshua had a promised land to conquer. Thousands of years later, we have a great commission to fulfill. I'm sure that the Israelites stood on the banks of the Jordan River going, how in the world are we going to go into that land and kick everybody out and get it done? God did it, didn't he? How are we, 250, 300 people at Northside Baptist Church, supposed to fulfill the Great Commission? By being obedient. By making sure we do these three simple but profound things. Connecting God's promises to his purposes. Treasuring the presence of God. And giving priority to the word in our own lives. Listen. The book of Joshua would tell us here this morning that if we are not serious about God's word, we have no hope for success or prosperity in the future. Our friends, as we think about how God has been faithful to us in the past, doesn't God's faithfulness in the past motivate you to know that God will give you grace for future obedience? We're not going to do it ourselves. We're going to do it as God works through us. And as we think about the opportunity we have to move into the future, will we be faithful? We already know He will. Let's treasure these things as a church and move into a faithful future. Pray with me, please. Lord, we thank You for this opportunity to hear from Your Word. Lord, I, I pray for myself, for those uh, who hear my voice, that these will not be idle words, but that they will indeed be our life. You speak today powerfully through your word, and you, um, you give us direction. So Lord, we pray that you will help us to not make promises, kind of precious things for our own personal fulfillment, but that we'll understand you fulfill your promises to fulfill your purposes. Lord, help us in our hearts to treasure Christ. We sing of his death and his sacrifice and the new life that you give us. Lord, we practice it so randomly. So we have the opportunity to think about moving into a faithful future. Lord, we will never have a faithful future if we're not faithful now. So Lord, if there there are any who are here this morning that are struggling because they're away from you, Lord, this is a great opportunity on this homecoming Sunday for people to make their walk with you right. You give us the opportunity uh, at any point to confess our sins and to uh, kind of renew our commitment to you. So Lord, if there's one that's here this morning that needs to renew their commitment, I pray that by your spirit you'll give them the boldness to come down here during our invitation. There are many who are contemplating church membership. Uh, there are some who just know that this is the church that you would have them to 
labor at to help us move into a faithful future. Lord, as your spirit moves upon your people, uh, we just pray with uh, expectation for your grace and mercy to encourage us as we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.